Welcome to Calvary Chapel in the City Sunday evening service, the last service of the year 2015. And we are in the book of Genesis. How awesome is Genesis? Oh, I just love it. I just love reading and teaching and learning through Genesis. Only announcement, all-day prayer this Friday, January 1st. Give the fr- first fruits of your year to the Lord. Any questions, call Danielle DeHart. It's going to be at the Grand's House on Lawn Street in Mission Hill, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The Friday evening study, this will be the first, or last Friday was the first Friday evening study in a long, long time. Uh, to be canceled because it was Christmas. But there will be no Friday evening study this Friday either. They'll all be over there praying. Okay, Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that From sun up to sundown, we can be in the Word from the first Sunday of the year to the last Sunday of the year. We can get together and read the Word of God. And Lord, you draw us in, not as a ritual, but because of a relationship. And Lord, we continue to learn. We continue to grow. We continue to understand and and believe in you more and and draw in closer to your heart, understanding your heart. Lord, we want to be men and women who are like David, seekers after your heart. And Lord, to make us hardcore seekers, we need a hardcore vision of your heart your heart towards us, your heart towards the world. Holy Spirit, join us. Come into this place. Fall upon us. Bless us as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 17, verse 1 says, when Abram was... 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. So last Sunday we were went through the story of Abraham. He had received the promise that through him many nations would be blessed through his descendants. We saw him and Sarah unable to wait on the promise of God and they made an Ishmael. They tried to help God out. Ishmael is born 
and verse 16 of the previous chapter says Abraham was 86 year old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. That means 13 years had gone by between these two chapters. 13 years of apparently, according to the biblical record, silence. God makes his promises. He puts his call on our life and then he doesn't necessarily speak loudly and clearly about it in the years between the time he spoke and the time it is fulfilled. There's also, to me, a wonderful picture of just the grace of God. They had, this is a a serious uh, error of judgment and really disobedience going into Hagar's tent on the part of both Sarah and Abraham. But um, the Lord just, they're living just graciously under the eye of the Lord. They're dwelling in the land. And I must say, I, I love this verse, verse 1. It says, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. <clears throat> You do get this idea sometimes. You know, Abraham, it's sounding a little echoey. Maybe I should back up. Should I back up? Am I in the right place? Martin Luther had a number of different things that he said that were kind of crazy. One was, you know, a little sin is good for your soul. That's what he said. He said, things more outrageous than that but he 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 said things like like that and um that really probably was a carryover from the time uh, uh, previous to his conversion where man you you go to mass and you go out and you sin hard and then you go back to mass and you uh you're okay by the way, another expression of his was sin boldly when you do, but then also believe in Christ boldly. said a lot of crazy things. He was also a heavy drinker. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, but those kind of things, a little sin is good for the soul, really are not biblical. They're nonsense. You know, Martin Luther was a very unhappy man during the latter part of his life. And I think carrying on to, holding on to those kind of sayings, it's just my opinion. I think we're part of the reason for that. A man of just astonishing fruit in his life. If you have never read a biography of Martin Luther, it is mind-boggling what that man did in his life. The whole initiation of the Reformation was just one area of, uh, of his ministry that, um, uh, that he is really well, real well known for. But um, if the truth be told, this is a word for every single one of you in this room. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. 
Second Peter chapter one verse three says, "God has given us all things we need for life and godliness." We have the Holy Spirit. We have what it takes to be blameless. Or always, James says we'll stumble in many ways. That that is true. But um, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 Lord has called us to a blameless life, a life that is above reproach, a, a life that outsiders. People outside the body of Christ or inside the body of Christ will look and say, wow, that life is above reproach. I, I, if that person were on trial for behavior they did in the last year, you know, I don't know. There's not a whole lot there. It's a beautiful life. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And a beautiful life that, that God has called us to. And I will make, verse 2, my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of Many nations. So Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make, you, make nations uh, of you. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now, I do believe at this time that they, you know, that Abraham did, the, the thought uh, did linger, in fact, was probably very strong, that God was going to accomplish the, his promises through Ishmael. And... The reason for that is down in verse 15. We'll get to that eventually, but let's just go there right now. It says, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Verse 17 says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. In verse 18, he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Like, why don't you do um, this whole covenant thing, this the, the fulfillment of, of all the promises through Ishmael. Well, the reason I bring that up now is this his change of name. His name means father of many nations. And he's going he's to make it really, really uh, clear. God's going to make it clear that the covenant's not through Ishmael. It's going to be through Isaac, born of Sarah. Verse 19 says, God says, no, Sarah shall be, uh, that shall be, Sarah, your wife, shall be, bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him. So this promise about many nations is going to come through Sarah. And it's still going to be a number of years before it happens, before Sarah has a child. still going to be a little while. But during that little while, 
during that time, every time Abraham introduces himself, he introduces himself as, my name's father of many nations. As a reminder, God told him to declare this as a reminder to himself that God's going to give him a son through Sarah. And so imagine that every time he introduces himself, and he did have to introduce himself to different people, he was a nomad. He was a pilgrim. He was a sojourner. He went from area to area in the land of Canaan and would meet different people. My name's Abraham. My name's the father of many nations. A reminder to him that God was going to fulfill that promise. Now that took faith. It's important for us to declare the promises that God has made over our life from time to time. Now I know we've heard lots of we've heard lots of stories over the year, lots of craziness of people being sure that God told them this and that and it didn't turn out to be true, but that doesn't mean you uh, are supposed to be silent in what God has told you to do. One thing that the Lord has reminded me over and over and over again, don't look towards other people when it comes to your behavior and what God did or didn't do in their life. You just move forward based upon what I told you to do. So he declares with his mouth, by faith, every time he introduces himself, I'm going to be the father of many nations. He's 99. He takes this name by faith. Again, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, verse 6. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you and their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So this is really an affirmation of the covenant that was made in Genesis chapter 12, although there are, is an addition to it. He's going to be a father of many nations. Kings will come out of his, uh, his loins. So uh, the Lord is really uh, expanding on his promise or filling up the promise. Um, perhaps that's a better, better way of saying it. To Abraham, it says it will be an everlasting possession to your descendants. And as we'll see, it's going to be through, through Isaac. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, through their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is, bought, he who is born into your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. 
So, that, so it would include any Gentile servants brought into the home to, to be servants in the home. They, you know, you're coming in as a servant, and oh, oh yeah, by the way, you've got to be circumcised. Verse 13, he who is born in your house and he who is uh, bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So interesting that foreigners, strangers throughout the Bible are really cherished in the heart of God. They're cherished in Him. You know, we're in political season. And I would have you know that if you're walking with the Lord, you will have people on the political left and the people on the political right disliking you, if you're walking by faith. That is true. That will happen. If you're walking by faith. And I hope one of the reasons the people on the political right will dislike you is because of your love for immigrants. Your love for them. The tone in which you speak about them. Because... From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God repeatedly makes statements saying, Malachi chapter 3, do not turn away the immigrant. In the book of Ezekiel, make the immigrant a, make the immigrant and bring him into your country and make him your own. Genesis chapter 7, 17 it says here, when he comes into your house, don't treat him like he's someone else. Don't, don't treat him in such a way that, you know, everyone is going to look at them and say, oh, they're different. No, you make them just like you make, um, just like your own sons and your own daughters. God knows that we have something in us. Even though we're all immigrants ourselves, the Israelites knew they were slaves, and when they came out, they, you know, they knew what it was like to be a slave. We all have something in us from the fall, Genesis chapter 3, that we want to become an exclusive club and not allow anyone else in. It's just not biblical. It's not love. It's not the heart of God. So interesting here. And, and if you do a study of it throughout Scripture, you will be amazed and convicted about God's hearts towards immigrants, aliens, strangers, foreigners. It says, it goes on and says in verse 14, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, circumcision is, number one, in the Old Testament here in verse 11, it is a mark of ownership. God owns these people. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So, it is a sign of the covenant. It's a reminder of the covenant it's a reminder of the covenant to, uh, to the people. But first and foremost, so it's, it's a sign that they're God's people. Um, but, but also, 
it is kind of like Abraham taking on the name Abraham, father of many nations. It's, it's, it's the same thing that um, by being circumcised, it is a reminder to every Jewish family that God is going to be faithful to the covenant that he made. It is also um, a sign that they are not to be like all the people in the world, all the other people. They're not, they are not to be like that. Now, um, throughout the Bible, uh, the, including the Old Testament, circumcision uh, not only is something uh, although it's the cutting of the way of the flesh, it's something physical, it's also something that uh, symbolized that something spiritual had taken place in the heart of the person, but also the heart of the country. It, it's a statement that the people is, are, are not ruled by the flesh, but they are ruled by God. I'm cutting the flesh away from around my heart. It's interesting that Ishmael was conceived prior uh, to the circumcision here uh, that takes place in chapter 17. If you go to uh, Galatians, many of you are familiar with this, but uh, in Galatians it says in chapter 4, verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was born of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. She was born prior to the circumcision. And so um, God's saying, okay, Abraham, you have a child that was born to the flesh. Now I want, I want that flesh, that circumcision, the flesh to, be, to, to come off your heart because really Ishmael was, it was, it was that, the, the flesh that was around Abraham's heart that had caused Ishmael to, to be born. And so the, 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 the symbolism there. Of course, over time, the Jews made a great mistake with respect to uh, circumcision, uh, that in treating it more, uh, the, the physical part, as, as more important. But um, throughout Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, uh, Moses tells the Israelites, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, he says, "And lo The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls that you may live. And then Jeremiah I'm a big, big, big Jeremiah fan. I love that guy. But in, among, among other things, um, Jeremiah says in, where is it? Jeremiah chapter, eek, where are you? Four, verse four, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskin of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. In Romans Chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, For it is not a Jew who is, uh, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision 
that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And notice there, it does say uh, as well that uh, the circumcision is to happen on the eighth day. Now, some of you may have heard of this, but it is an astonishing, uh, astonishing to me at least, it shouldn't be, but uh, a, a medical fact is that um, vitamin K production ma- is maximized, is, is at its height. In fact, in, in, in the life of an infant, on, on day eight, the vitamin K production is, is really exceeds even the production that happens in an adult. But it is, in, in vitamin K, why is that important? Because vitamin K facilitates the clotting factors in the body. It is also responsible for production of the element prothrombin, is key for clotting. It's called a clotting factor. But it's not until the fifth through the seventh day uh, in male newborns that the the vitamin uh, K uh, begins to produce um, adequate clotting. So if you ever had a circumcision in day three or four, it would probably be fatal. And today, actually, newborns are given on day one, if they're being circumcised, a, a vitamin K shot. But amazing that it peaks vitamin K production on day eight and uh, stays pretty high until day, day 10 and then goes back to a re- regular levels of an infant um, after day 10. How did Abraham know that when he started circumcising people? Circumcising kids, infants rather. Well, he didn't, but the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit... Uh, knows all of that. Holy Spirit knits our bodies together. And uh, so that remarkable, remarkable medical fact. Uh, The covenant, in the new covenant, of course, there is no requirement for physical uh, circumcision. And the the new covenant really, uh, we're not circumcised, but we're sealed. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 13, hoping you all are very familiar with this as we're going through Ephesians on Sunday morning. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in which also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, similar verse where it says that now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So no longer a requirement to be physically circumcised. There's differences of opinion of of the medical benefits of it. There appear to be some, but... um, it was a sign. Now, interestingly enough, interesting enough, 
the Jews were not the only ancient peoples who got, who were circumcised. Uh, there was a sign that was unique to Israel, and that was the Sabbath. You really don't see that um, distinguishing one people from another. Sabbath was unique uh, to Israel. Uh, but this, here we are, here we are in uh, Genesis 17, where the Lord is instituting that circumcision. Verse 15, uh, it says, Then God said to Abraham, as, you, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not, not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, Sarah means princess. Princess. So, just like he was called the father of many nations, and every time he introduced himself before Isaac, that was something he was sort of by faith declaring with his mouth. Sarah was the same thing. I'm a princess. And I am going to, in royalty, is going gonna, is gonna to come from my descendants. It was a reference to the covenant that was made for, uh, with Abraham in which Abraham was promised that through Sarah, kings will uh, come out of, uh, of that child, and all, also that um, all nations on earth will be blessed. So uh, she uh, took that name, the name of Sarah, verse 16, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Keep in mind that he loves Ishmael. Ishmael is his son. He's his flesh and bones. And he's like, Hey, can't you do all that stuff that you've promised me that you're going to do, why not just do it through Ishmael? The problem was that Ishmael was a child of the flesh. He was not a child of faith. Abraham was the father of faith. He was a child that, although Abraham loved and God loved, and God even blessed who's not a child of the promise. In verse 19, God says, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall, be, he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So correction earlier, it won't be years, it'll be one year or less than a year. Uh, nine months, ten months, eleven months. And... Uh, He's promising that at this time. 
Now, Muslims believe, well, let me just back up. Um, let me just back up this name Isaac. He says, you shall call his name Isaac in verse 19. And in verse 21, he says, my covenant, I will establish you with Isaac. It's interesting, Isaac's name means laughter and probably relates to the fact that in verse 17, Abraham had laughed and could be that the reason that God had him named Isaac was that every time Abraham said that name Isaac, it was a reminder to him that he should never laugh at the promises of God. It's not what you do. Wow, there's a lot of reminders for the rest of his life. Every time he said the name Isaac, he, he was reminded, oh man, I, I laughed. I'm never going to do that again. And so some of you may wonder, I, I have before in Romans chapter 4, in Romans chapter 4 where it says that Abraham, not being weak in faith, did not consider his own body already dead, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. That always seemed a little strange to me because he did waver um, at the promise of God through unbelief. He did. When he went into Hagar. But some believe that it's at this point because from this point on, you don't see Abraham wavering in unbelief about that child. He knows that at this point, God's telling him, I'm going to name his name Isaac. So every time you say his name, he'll remember. You don't laugh at my promise. This time, he's serious. Abraham is serious. And so some people believe that Paul's reference there is from that time that Isaac was named. Now, the Muslims believe that the promises that made to Abraham that all nations of the world will be blessed through him and his descendants will be fulfilled through Ishmael. Even though Mohammed came about 2,500 years after all this took place in Genesis 17, and even though it's clear what's stated here, that verse 21 says, my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Somehow Muhammad says, no, it's the Bible's been corrupted or something, and, and he believes that the promises will, uh, he, he started teaching that the promises um, will be fulfilled through Ishmael. Astonishingly, also as well, in John, Genesis chapter 22, where it says, where God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him on top of Mount Moriah. They, the Quran also purports to say that that um, is a corruption, and that's also about Ishmael. Pretty crazy, particularly since Ishmael, at least the chronology of him, pretty much ends at this point. The chronology of him. And it follows the line of, of Isaac. And as we learned from Daniel Messiah when he was here, 
there are other statements in the Quran that say, look, the, the, the Bible is not corrupted. <laughs> um, but what you see in verse 20 where God says to Abraham, as for Ishmael, I have heard, and behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. And in chapter 16, verses 11 and 12, where the angel of the Lord says, uh, said to Hagar, behold, you are with child, uh, and uh, he shall, pre- it says in verse 12, it says, he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And th- those are, are blessings, but a blessing is not a covenant. It's a big distinction. There's a covenant, and the covenant really is connected to God's redemptive plan for all mankind. So no doubt that Ishmael was blessed. He was, verse 20. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. He was blessed. There are nations that trace themselves to him to this day, entire nations. He was blessed. But that's not a covenant. Covenant clearly comes through Isaac, which includes, of course, the covenant of the land. Chapter 17, verse 8, also I'll give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. So um, one important thing is in biblical study is you never test earlier revelation by subsequent revelation. It's always the other way around. You don't take the Book of Mormon and say, okay, here's the Book of Mormon. Let's test the Bible with the Book of Mormon. You don't do that. It's the other way around. You test whether the Book of Mormon is true based upon whether it aligns itself with the Bible. Same thing with the Koran. You don't take the Koran and say, well, this, this, this in the Old Testament is wrong because the Koran is different. No. That's a later revelation. It's the other way around. You take, the, you, you take the Bible and say, let's see if the Quran is true based upon what the Bible says. Same thing with um, the Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White and the other uh, modern-day kind of prophets. You test them based upon what the Bible says and not the other way around. So, Verse 22, then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his his foreskin. By the way, there's a whole sermon right there that, you know, when God tells you to do something, you should do so immediately. Because if you, if you, sometimes with the, with what the Lord tells us, man, if we sit around and think about it, there are certain things that he tells us, if we certain t- sit around and think about it, uh, uh, we'll convince ourselves out of it. And you can imagine um, sitting around thinking about, you know, should I really, do I really want to get circumcised? Now, you don't want to wait even to sunset. You just need to go do it. And there, there are certain things that the Lord tells us to do that it's just like that. Immediate obedience is what it's called for. 
Verse 25, And Ishmael, his son, was 30, uh, 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day Abraham was circumcised in his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth tree of Mamre, as he, Abraham, was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he, Abraham, lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet him, to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground. And said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. It does appear that Abraham knows that this is Jesus Christ himself. This is called a Christophany. The two of these folks are angels. One of us is the Lord himself. Some people say a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of of Jesus, I, I don't really like that term pre-incarnate because he's in, he's in a body here, a, a human body here. He's in the flesh here. It's probably different than his heavenly body, but he's in, he's in the flesh here, and that's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So, you know, Abraham says, runs, bows to the ground. Verse 4 says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. So Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So hospitality in the Middle East, that's what they did. You don't necessarily eat with them. You wait till they eat and then if there's anything left, you eat. Interesting little side note. We like to get into these kind of details every once in a while on Sunday night. Some of you are for are familiar with the law of Moses. It says, do not eat, I forget which chapter this is in, in the law of Moses, but do not eat a goat in its mother's milk. That has been interpreted by Jewish interpreters in the Talmud, which are extra-biblical writings. You do not mix dairy and meat in a meal. But who's mixing dairy and meat in a meal? Right here. In Genesis chapter 18, Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> it, it, it says that he had the milk and he ate the calf. He took, verse 8, the butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So it's amazing what we human beings are capable of doing with God's word. Oh boy, do we like to add to it. Verse 9, then he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? It's interesting how she was making the food, but she was hidden. So he said, here in the tent. 
And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So she had her ear up to, ooh, what's going on here? And Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. King James stricken with age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Now, some people say, Well, you know, this seems kind of unfair. You know, what? She's sort of getting a rebuke here. Why didn't he rebuke Abraham when he laughed? I think he did rebuke Abraham. He laughed and said, okay, your kid's name is going to be Laugh. (laughs) So I think he really spoke into Abraham a rebuke as well. But it says that that Sarah was, was afraid. It says, I did not laugh. Why do you think she was afraid? Because how could this person ever have known that she laughed? She didn't laugh out loud. Verse 12 says she, she laughed within herself. And so she has a, a sense here, if not an outright knowledge by this time, that, wow, this is the Lord. The Bible does say that God knows the intents, even the intents of our thoughts. And we're, we're naked before him, every thought of our heart. And, and so she's corrected here. And, and look, I, I don't think this is her, uh, Jesus smushing Sarah. But it is a correction. And, 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 and how thankful I am when the Lord corrects me for not believing his word. Not believing that he is good. It has been said that if the church believed that that one thing about God, that he's, he's good, there would be just a complete transformation and, and revolution and revival in the body of Christ. And it is true. He is good. And from time to time, you know, the Lord in his love for us corrects us. No, but you did laugh. And in, in, in every, interesting here, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks that to our heart. Anytime we get into circumstances that seem to contradict what the Lord has told us specifically in our life. The Holy Spirit saying the th- same thing as anything too hard for the Lord. Verse 16, Then the men rose from there and looked down toward 
Sodom. And Abraham went with him to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? It's a beautiful picture to me, by the way. It's a picture of the relationship of, between God and Abraham. He's, he's about to do something big. He said, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not going to do this big thing without, and, and keep Abraham, my son, in the dark. Verse 18, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, this is the Lord speaking about Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. In other words, he's saying... The Lord knows what he's going to do to Sodom. He's going to judge Sodom. And what he is saying here is, I'm going to tell Abraham exactly why I'm judging Sodom as a protection to Abraham and his descendants. It's going to be a protection to them. Uh, You need to know that any people, Abraham, including yours, who lower themselves morally to the level of this city will be judged By me, there is no future for a nation where this kind of behavior is normal. It's important that we take that to heart ourselves this very day. And the Lord said, verse 20, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it uh, that has come to me. And if not, I will, I will know. Now, it's interesting that sin, there's always an outcry. There's no such thing as victimless crime. That is silly nonsense. When there is sin, in this case there is sexual sin, but the book of Ezekiel said there's other sin. There's just idleness as well going on here in in Sodom and they were just doing perverse and twisted things sexual and non-sexual in their idle time it says in the book of Ezekiel but uh, there's always an outcry there's always pain and so there's an outcry that the Lord has heard Verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, he knows that Lot is there. Peter, in Second Peter, calls Lot righteous. You know, Lot, man, he, he doesn't belong in, in Sodom, probably never should have been there in the first place. He's righteous. He's one of God's own. He's been separated, sanctified by God. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. For far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 
than 50 righteous? Would you destroy all the city for lack of, uh, of five? So he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And Abraham spoke to him again, verse 29, and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40, verse 30. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 shall be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Verse 31, and he said, indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. A number of different things here. One is just a wonderful relationship, which should be an example to us just a great relationship with God. Just going back and forth over and over, even when it seemed pushy. And on Tuesday of this week, I was really sick. I, I'm not going to describe it for you. Ugh, it was awful. But I, for, for about a half an hour, I was just pleading to the Lord. You have got to heal me. I can't take this. I would rather die. That's how I felt. I just was going on and on and on. He did get sick of hearing me. He did not get sick of hearing me. I just went on and on and on and on. And then he did. <laughs> he did. And I started feeling a lot better. But, and which was really cool. But, but I was even thinking as I was going on, that, Lord, I'm so glad that you don't get sick of me pleading like this because it was all I could do uh, in that situation. And here he is. He's, he's, he's concerned about his nephew, Lot. And he, it's not like he's acting. He's being respectful. Obviously, he's being very respectful. But he, he's continuing on that, that conversation, that prayer. Of course, all of this says a lot about the value of the body of Christ in a particular city, a particular country. I'm flabbergasted. Uh, at how evil things are getting out there, how society is unraveling. And I don't understand sometimes, you know, why God doesn't judge more severely. But I fully recognize Genesis chapter 18. I think about this chapter all the time. There are a lot of people living in this country who love the Lord, who have absolutely surrendered and who are living day to day blamelessly above reproach. It's true. Wherever you go, you'll find men and women and children surrender to Jesus. I don't think appreciated enough in our country for the fact that we haven't, the country has not been judged, but it is true. God's, but God's judgment will come in time. It's interesting that um, though there were less than 10 people who were righteous, and there were fewer than that in Sodom, it, it, the real cool thing to me is that Jesus himself takes it upon himself to go there and oversee the whole thing. Now, he doesn't enter into the city, interesting enough. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 19 says, two angels came to Sodom in the evening and they entered. You don't, 
Um, you don't see the Lord go, actually going in. So somehow he's like overseeing or something. He's overseeing the rescue of his own children. Is that awesome? Is that cool? Anyone else think that, that's cool? I hope so. Yes, nod your heads. Yeah, I think that's cool. We all think that's cool. It really is cool. The Lord is, is coming and he's, he's taking on human flesh, a body, and he's coming and overseeing because he loves Lot so much. And it's an amazing thing. And of course, we just got finished the book of Revelation, right? Which, Revelation through chapter 3, it's all about the church, but never hear about them anymore during the tribu- tribulation. Why? They were raptured out. And Thessalonians says that the church is not appointed for wrath. So God knows what he's doing in his judgments. And, you know, you think sometime, what's going to happen to us? God has to judge. Well, God knows what he's going to do. That's all I can say, how he's going to do it. Uh, he, knows how to, he knows how to judge. His, his, his judgments are, are true and righteous altogether. Anyway, don't you love Genesis? I love Genesis. And we will continue next Sunday night.